as we turn our attention to the text this morning. We're going to be reading from the book of Esther chapter 2 verses 5 through 10 and verse 17. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to follow along with this reading because there are many details in this story that are going to be important for the sermon later. Now there was a Jew in the citadel of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jer, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with King Jeconiah of Judah, whom King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had carried away. Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his cousin, for she had neither father nor mother. The girl was fair and beautiful. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai adopted her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in the citadel of Susa in custody of Haggai, Esther was also taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. The girl pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with cosmetic treatments and her portion of food, and with seven chosen maids from the king's palace, and advanced her and her maids to the best place in the harem. Esther did not reveal her people or kindred, for Mordecai had charged her not to tell. The king loved Esther more than all of the other women of all the virgins she won his favor and devotion so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word this morning. If this is your first week with us, I want to say that this is our third week in our series called Origins, but that's okay because each sermon and each character that we are looking at is separate than the others. The first week, we looked at Moses and those events that happened in his early life. The second week, we talked about the anointing of David as the king when he was a very young man. And today we have our only female character in this series, Queen Esther. Now most of us refer to her as Queen Esther, and we know that she saved the Jewish people um, from literally extermination in the Persian Empire, but we always talk about her as the queen. So today, as we explore the origin of Esther, I wanna talk about her before she was the queen. The historical setting of our story is mired in political intrigue in the palace courts. Um, the Jews that we are referring to are called diaspora Jews, which is a term that I learned in seminary that I hadn't heard before. But the diaspora Jews were those who had been conquered in Jerusalem and then were taken to the Babylonian Empire most of the time because they had skills and were educated or were good at certain things, and they were enslaved um, by those who had conquered them. So they were forcibly taken from their homeland and made to serve those in this foreign land. These types of stories were very popular, especially when a Jewish person would find favor in the court. What is so unusual about this story, this book of the Bible, is that Esther is the heroine, a woman. 
And at the very best, a woman in Babylonian time who was a Jew would have been marginalized at the very, very best. And so another thing that is particularly interesting about this book is that God is not depicted as the acting agent of change anywhere in the story. Now, I'm not saying God is not there. We get glimpses into things being revealed to Mordecai and Esther. We get their fasting and prayer and even their defiance, which shows up as acts of faithfulness. But they, the characters of the story, are actually depicted as the ones who change the future for the Jewish people. So God is present, but not in a way that is obvious, which is typical for many of our biblical stories. Our, this particular story takes place 100 years after the conquering of Jerusalem. And so Mordecai is actually the great-grandson of the one who would have been enslaved, Kish, and typical of immigrants who live in foreign culture, I'm sure that many of you have friends who have immigrated from other countries, but they take on a name that is easier to pronounce. I thought of my grandmother. Her Finnish name was Edity, but when she was here in the U.S., it translated to Edith which isn't near as pretty as Edity, but we all knew her as Edith, her non-Finnish name. And so Esther, as well, has a Jewish name and then a Persian name. And her Jewish name was Hadasha, and it means myrtle or evergreen shrub, which I thought was funny because my name, Heather, means shrub as well. And it's just, I don't know that there's a lot of people out there named for shrubbery. <laughs> but we discover in the text that Hadasha is also an orphan. Her parents have died, and her cousin, Mordecai, takes on and chooses to raise her and eventually adopts her as his own child. Mordecai becomes the father that she needs, and he shapes and cares for her every bit as much as a biological father. When Pastor Sharla and I planned this series in January, I had no idea that it would actually land on Father's Day. And so I'm so pleased that we have this beautiful story of a man who chooses to be a father and then does it so very well. And so throughout the entire book of Esther, she leans on her father, and he gives her guidance as she navigates the very dangerous place of palace politics and maneuvering. My husband often says that on Father's Day, we're always saying, be better fathers. But today, I am saying, you're great fathers. Mordecai is a great father. So he gives Esther a, a Persian name, which is Esther, and that name means star, which is so much better than shrubbery, right? <laughs> but it also refers to a well-known Babylonian deity, and he probably gave it to Hadasha to protect her identity. What we didn't read in our scripture for today is what happens in chapter one, and that is the king throws a big party and apparently, this king li likes to host lots of banquets and feasts. 
He is often depicted as someone who's had too much to drink, and the people around him sort of sway his agenda. So he has a 180-day banquet. Yes, you heard me correctly, a 180-day banquet. And during the banquet, he wants to show off his wife to his friends, so he sends a servant to get Vashti. Uh, we have this beautiful picture um, that Bill Schaefer drew us. What happens is that Vashti refuses to come. She doesn't want to be shown off to all the king's friends, and so she is disobedient. So not only then is she banished from the court, the sages and the council and the men around the king, they decide that they have to create an edict that goes out to all the land declaring that all the men are the masters of their homes and their wives should be obedient. And so, the king needs a new wife. And Esther is swept up in the gathering of all of the potential new brides, or in some translations, virgins. Esther, as a character, she almost seems to be acted upon rather than making decisions for herself in the first half of this biblical story. Mordecai tells her to hide her identity and not to reveal that she is a Jew. And she manages to do that for two to four years without anyone actually knowing that she is Jewish, which leads us to believe that she was not following the orthodox codes of her faith. Her uh, food habits and her prayer habits, things like that, did not reveal who she is. Some might even accuse her and Mordecai as falling away from the faith because they were not practicing in a way that gave evidence that they were God's people. So the scripture emphasizes regularly that Esther was an obedient woman, that she did what the men in her life instructed her to do, and I think this is so we recognize the direct opposition to who Vashti was in her disobedience. So how does a Jewish woman become queen? And through a beauty pageant, they gather up all of these women, and then they take them away for a year, and they give them beauty treatments, and they pamper them. And I don't know about you, but after these last few months, that sounds pretty nice. And so in the 10th month of the second year, Esther is finally brought before the king. He falls in love with her, he makes her queen, and he, of course he throws a banquet in her honor, and he declares a holiday in her name. He gives gifts to the people, and he celebrates and loves his new bride. So one of the things that happens in the course of the book of Esther is that she eventually finds her voice. She moves from a passive person to a change agent. Mordecai, he still guides her, and he gives her advice, but ultimately she makes the decision to risk her life, to intervene with the king to stop Haman. So one of the things that happens is that Haman becomes second in command, and the king gives him a ring and says that he can create laws. So Haman is now being bowed down to by everyone, but in the courtyard, he goes by Mordecai. 
Mordecai refuses to bow. And in so, he reveals that he is Jewish. And as a Jew, he only believes in one God, and that would be the God that he would bow down to. Culturally, kings were often referred to as gods, and you bowed to them in that manner. So Mordecai, he reveals that he is Jewish, and Haman is so angry that not only does he want to kill Mordecai, he creates a law that says on the 12th month, on the 13th day, that all of the Jews in the land can be killed. And so Esther discovers this because Mordecai is in the courtyard wearing mourning cloth and mourning, and she's so funny. She's become isolated in the palace, and she's surrounded by wealth and servants and all of those things. So she tries to fix what's wrong with Mordecai by sending him a new set of clothes and telling him to shape up. Of course, she has no idea what's happened, and so the servant goes back and forth, and eventually she understands this danger to her people. She doesn't realize the king has been manipulated. So Haman has become very strong in the court, and he has created this law. So Mordecai reveals to Esther that maybe All the things in her life have led to this moment where she can save her people. Powerful words. Mordecai's faith makes the claim that if Esther chooses to keep silent, that God will still find a way to save the Jews. But she doesn't choose silence. Instead, she asked the Jewish people to fast for three days and to pray with her as she prepares herself to try to intervene on their mass execution. So she goes to the courtyard door. We have another beautiful illustration of that. And she kind of hangs out because there's a law that says you cannot approach the king without an invitation or you could be put to death. So she's hanging out in the courtyard, and she's hoping that the king might see her, and of course it works, and he invites her into conversation. She doesn't say anything about the law that's been enacted or what's happening to the Jewish people, but she knows her man. She invites him to a feast, right, (laughs) through his stomach. And so she invites him to the feast, but then she is so afraid She doesn't say a word about what's on her heart and what she's worried about. And so she invites the king and Haman the second night for another feast. And finally, she blurts out what is going on and that she will die and all the Jewish people will be killed on the 12th month on the 13th day. And the king is furious, and he says, who would do this? And she points at Haman and says, it's him. For such a time as this. Mordecai uses this phrase when he tells her that maybe all of the things that have happened in her life have happened for such a time as this. Did you know you can buy coffee mugs and t-shirts and hats that say for such a time as this? And most people don't even know that it comes from the Bible. Esther's father issues a challenge 
He says, will you keep silent and hide away in that palace while we all die? Or will you use the position that you have been given to do something to save us all? Esther has to make a decision. She takes an incredible risk. She risks her life. She risks her position as queen. She's already seen what happened to Vashti. She risks all the lives of the Jews when she decides to speak to the king. But she finds her voice. And she does not stay silent. She speaks up and reveals the evil in their midst. This is a beautiful story, and I love this book of the Bible, but I really kind of struggled this week on how do I apply this to our lives on this day. And so this is where I'm going to go with you. As God's people, we all have the option of hiding, of keeping silent, of not standing up for justice or for the kingdom of God, as we say in our Lord's Prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. In this book of the Bible, God is still working through her father, through fasting and prayer and through the things that are revealed. But when it comes right down to it, Esther is the one that has to make the decision to move into action to be a change agent for God's people for such a time as this. The thing that's so crazy about it is Esther's not a perfect Jew. We haven't witnessed in her life the evidence of how devout she is, but God still manages to use her and Mordecai that even in their unworthiness, and some might accuse that they are not good people of faith, or at least not very good ones, Esther still can be used. And that makes me thankful that you and I, that in our messiness, our unfaithfulness, that we still can be used by God. We all have the ability to listen to respond, to make a difference, not for our own benefit, but for the things that Jesus cared about. We are called to be more. We are called to be better. We are called to have evidence in our lives that we are people who follow Jesus. We are called to be agents of good in a world of brokenness. This is a message of hope for such a time as this. Amen.